Chicago is so good that I know every single song by heart. Okay, Lynn Manuel Miranda, just chill out. Oh, all right? yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, perfect. The gun. For the gun. Okay, I'm going to do a this whole is, performance, this performance as soon as this over. podcast ends. <laughs> have it the normal way oh i'm pre i invert the way i swipe on my mouse that's Ooh. right it's because it's the regular n- regular swiping okay stupid all right no the regular way bullshit. is the way i do it and everyone else is wrong if they think that's the other way pc master race <laughs> <laughs> hashtag 2006 like, i don't know <laughs> it's pretty old i don't know what you're saying either this laptop can yeah can use sprucing what are you talking about? You've just had it for a year. It feels like time has no meaning. <laughs> though that's true. It's not the laptop's fault, though. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fuck it. I'm going to turn it up later. <laughs> okay. We're doing it live. Fuck it. <laughs> Welcome to today's episode of What the Shit is Up Next. <laughs> Welcome to today's episode of Fuck It. We're doing it live. We're doing it live. Have you ever seen that that clip of uh, Bill O'Reilly? Which one? The man <laughs> that has, we're doing it live clip. has several gems. No, no, not that. One. Oh, it's great. He's like getting ready for his show, and <laughs> there is like I, I, I haven't seen it in a while, but like if I remember correctly, like you can't hear the people off camera, but he's like getting ready, and then he's just like, "Fuck it, <laughs> we're doing it live." <laughs> He's like really angry, but like his, the way he just like fuck it, and his hair kind of like flops while he like oh he my jerks God. his whole body. I can imagine his just like face cheeks in the wind. Yeah, that's among some of my favorite media freakouts, along with Christian Bale, who I've told you about. Oh, that was yeah. just uncomfortable, man. That yeah, but a... that was back in a simpler time. When that is Christian true. Bale now would be like probably be ostracized in the <laughs> industry for it but back then it was just like hey this is a funny thing that happened well now now he would might he might get more sympathy for kind of having any kind of breakdown <laughs> on live television well he was like kind of mean though in that clip to that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i love that you're like he was so mean <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious Jesus. um how's it going oh man i am stoked yeah you're excited yeah all right so Without saying what movie we're doing, even though people clicked on the episode and they know, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> just like one word take. What do you th- what do you think of this movie? How do you feel about it? Go. Funky. Do, I, do you this, like it? I oh, oh how I feel about it. Yes, I do like it. Yeah. This movie <laughs> deservedly got whatever fucking mediocre rating it got, but I still like it. I this is, think this movie rules. Yeah. <laughs> <This is laughs> I happen to think fucking, this movie is awesome. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, with if any fucking heist film, it's either good or bad. This one is polarizing. I would argue that um, any film is good or bad. No, no. There's a lot of movies that are great. Like, there's, there's, well, we yeah, have well, a whole podcast. About I mean, it. just scroll back on our feed and look yes. at what we've done. Those some some movies are great and they're all been covered on this podcast. There yes. you go. Yeah. But, like, what, like, with a heist film, you, you either deliver 10 out of 10. Or it just falls flat and you're like, oh, that was fucking stupid and I'm never going to watch it again. Can you give me an example of a uh, of one? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think of like TV shows, which obviously is not like an equal parallel. But well, like the, the reason they're not equal is because they're not movies. You know That's what? That's kind of the thing. Also, what heist TV show are you thinking? Money heist, Money I heist. guess. Which I've never seen. So that's the only one that comes to mind. I just mean like well, you kind of it's very direct. You can see it going in a linear way and... Not that the there's no like plot twists or anything, but with a movie like Oceans Eleven, it blew my dick off. <laughs> that movie was one of the best heist films I had seen when it came out. And then with twelve, your expectations are skyrocketed already. Right? That's what we're gonna talk about. But can I say just one thing in defense of television? The um the episode of Friends from the nineties where they pull off the heist <laughs> when they get all addicted to OxyContin and then they rob <laughs> Central Perk. That's a pretty iconic. If no one's seen that, go back. It's like, it's a real left turn, <laughs> but 
Yeah. And you know what I heard that's really interesting about that? I heard that Quentin Tarantino originally wanted to direct that one episode of Friends, <laughs> but he never did. And then he did ER and people were like, well, this isn't quite as good. This heist episode of ER isn't quite as good. No, as- it's because everybody already has Schwimmer fatigue by the time <laughs> they got to that point. So, yeah, like for a weird sitcom heist episode, Schwimmer is kind of the <laughs> wrong one you want to focus on. You want to yeah. be, it's, it's more of a Joey thing. It's definitely a Joey yeah. thing. Yeah. Although, side note, Joey's TV show episodes is fucking great. And I highly recommend it still. <laughs> Continuing. Every onwards. single one is a heist. Yeah. So I agree with you. There, I have more questions for you. Hit me. What movie or movies, so maybe one or two, mm-hmm. have you seen more than any other film in your life? Harry Just Potter. Like off the top of your head. Yep. Harry Potter. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, one more. Give me one more fucking contagion now that i you know yeah. i'm just it's just just because of recent events of our life where three years don't mean anything anymore post yeah. 2020 i think i saw contagion because i'm an emotional cutter so i watched that a whole well bunch. that's interesting because contagion is a steven soderbergh film and i happen yeah. to think it's actually one of his best movies me too and to be not to toot my own horn i thought that before the pandemic and i i i remember watching nice. contagion just as the pandemic um before the pandemic started and i was like and ho- I was like, holy fuck, I love this movie <gasps> so much. Shit. And it didn't really, I watched it again in the pandemic. It didn't really shake me the way mm. that it shook some people. Or like, it got rediscovered in a way. And I was always like, this was always such a good movie. Contagion is always an amazing film. Yeah. Now, the reason I ask you that is I do have one more for that list. Go on. Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Oh, yeah. Movie we're going to cover. Yeah. yeah. Um, In the future. Teaser. That's one of the best heist films I've ever seen. Um, So... <laughs> I, the reason I ask is because I was thinking about it. As I mentioned in a previous podcast, I watched Oceans 11 and 12 on a plane. Mm-hmm. And and when I was like clicking on Oceans 11, I was like, I mean, I've seen this movie hundreds of times. Do I really want to watch it? And every time I watch it, <laughs> I'm like, this is one of the best movies ever made. Definitely. And besides maybe, it's hard to pinpoint. I've definitely, the movie I've seen the most ever is The Departed by a wide margin. For sure. <laughs> and- it's somewhere it's a toss-up between oceans 11 and like fight club and lord of the rings yeah that i've probably watched and star wars probably that i've seen the most but oceans 11 is pretty high on that list star wars is that something that you like find yourself throwing on just to casually watch because i thought that was the question not as much not as much okay but i've seen it just so many times also it's been in my life the longest right yeah yeah but oceans 11 i've just seen so much and it never gets old and i do think like it's edging towards my top five of all time like every time i watch it it's just it's such an incredible film it's truly and as this movie proved although not in the way some people might think it's impossible to replicate a film that good, mm-hmm. basically. Hard agree. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, forget the whole you stellar studded cast, like just who's who ensemble of like fucking Clooney, Damon, Pitt, and Roberts. Even if they had half the people in that film, it would have still been a banger. And I'm just I'm just glad he like roped up all of Hollywood for yeah. one just well, masterpiece of a film. I also think um, and I'm going to lead into another question for you about this. Steven Soderbergh is mm. such a smart man yeah. that he knew before even bothering to try that he would never replicate Ocean's Eleven again, Yeah, which is why this movie <laughs> is the way that it is. <laughs> and for, for better, I yeah. think, because my whole thing about this movie, and I'm sure it's been said before, I have to also mention that a large impetus for me to reclaim and rewatch this movie for myself was um, on theringer.com, mm-hmm. which I've professed to be a fan of. There's a couple people who they've made a rewatchables episode about this. And there's a oh, couple nice. people on their staff who have talked very fondly about this movie. Yeah. And it wasn't until I heard that that I was like, I should check that out again. So yeah. if anyone wants to listen to a better produced, more professional podcast, <laughs> go to the rewatchables and listen to their episode. It's great. But like, um also listen to this one because if you like this movie you like this movie so my question out of that is where like where do you rank Soderbergh not necessarily rank but like what are your feelings about Steven Soderbergh in general oh my god what a fucking prodigy wasn't he a baby when he, his first movie came yeah, out he was and a literal it, like, baby yeah. swept 
like all the biggest awards with like of course right next to the Tarantinos of his time and he was only what 23 26 No no he was a literal baby He was a huge yeah. baby uh-huh. Mrs Soderbergh had to carry him he up He kind of looks stage. like a baby right now too yeah. to be honest uh, S- Sweet yeah. smooth head Smooth head yeah but like do you cuz I sort I- of I sometimes sort of forget about Soderbergh and then every time I watch one of his movies or rewatch one of his movies I'm like oh yeah he's probably one of the most important working directors like around right now not because he always makes great movies Mm. but because he i mean besides being a virtuoso essentially he is like he makes important innovations and takes important steps with film in a way that i don't think lots of great filmmakers do for for good reason which is like totally fine but soderbergh seems to be unafraid to try almost anything including making films in all genres and using strange weird digital techniques (laughs) embracing streaming yeah and like he it's really admirable what he does even though he doesn't always hit the mark in my opinion that's what makes him super important totally there's now that we're kind of talking about the guy himself i read a little thing about him not being a fan of um possessory credits and uh, what that really means is that he prefers not to have his name like front and center of a movie, uh, like the start of a film. Like you would almost right. never see Steven Soderbergh like as the a first Steven thing. Soderbergh. Film. Yeah, which is yeah. not the case for other bigger directors, right? Because they want their shit. I mean, we just watched Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, a movie which was perfectly acceptable, but didn't need to be called Guy Ritchie's <laughs> no, The Covenant. No, just call it The Covenant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Although, man, now that you mentioned Guy Ritchie too, I'm thinking like Ocean's Twelve has a lot of. Um, Guy Ritchie vibe to it. Now, okay. But, but, but wait, I let do, me come back yeah, to the... I have a tan- l- can I just have a tangent about Guy Ritchie <laughs> yes. but when you're done? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's, let's hop into Guy Ritchie right okay. after. Okay, but coming back to Soderbergh's not wanting to like be his own brand uh, is so unique and kind of freeing because I know very recently we were talking about how A24 is just a brand, right? A24 presents itself as our movies are xyz type of movies for xyz type of audiences like blumhouse is an xyz type of that audience house. means no audience <laughs> <laughs> yeah no like they so he's yeah he's smart because he's like people get tired of brands and they switch brands but i've never had a desire to be out in front of anything which is why i don't take possessory credits which i thought was fucking cool yeah. he's like he just takes like cinematography credits on his feature films and he also does it under weird names like Peter, Peter Andrews. Andrews. Yeah. yeah, it's it's quite well known that he he uh That is so cool. is his or access his own D- DOP a lot of the time and yeah. do you know why Peter Andrews? I think it was his dad's uh alias or like given I believe to him by it's his, his dad. both his parents yeah. names of both his parents put together. Peter Andrews yeah. and Marianne Bernard for his mom. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking that's cute. Yeah. Like all of that. And no it's either that, sorry, this might be some total disinformation. It's either that or, or he edits under a name that references his mother. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, editing credits under Marianne Bernard, which there is not his mother. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's, yeah. he's That's what I mean by him being like a virtuoso. Yeah. It's like he... It's just the art, it, baby. It, it, obviously, like, I think there's lots of, like, there's lots of great filmmakers who are actually kind of like, I don't doubt they can do all of those things Mm -hmm. in ways but they're also very famous for their constant collaboration with the same talent like uh scorsese and thelma schoonmaker yeah schoonmaker 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 schoonery Mm -hmm. uh thelma and like um uh what's his name david fincher and kirk uh kirk baxter and angus wall Mm mm-hmm you know, and David Cronenweth, and and you know what I mean. Like they're they're kind of famous for working with the same people over and over. Whereas oh, Soderbergh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Soderbergh, Soderbergh's interesting because he doesn't really write. It seems. No, I know he has some some say, obviously, but he just makes movies out of these scripts. Like he's a true like pure director in that way, yeah. and he has like all this power over the the look and the pace and all this kind of stuff it's Mm -hmm. really amazing and that's why i truly admire him even though the thing is is like lots of his movies are okay yeah they're all mediocre nearly like before and after ocean 12 well 
I think a lot of his movies are better than people give them credit for. Like, I think he's made a lot of underrated, really good movies. Like, Contagion is one. Mm -hmm. Side Effects is another. Um, Mm -hmm. The Informant is fantastic. And then when he got into his, like... Magic Mike (laughs) The thing that's really funny (laughs) is, like, do you know he announced his retirement in, like, 2013 or whatever? Really? Yeah, so Soderbergh, if I remember correctly, he, he, he was, like... He was kind of fed up with the film industry and decided he was going to retire from cinema, which everyone was like, okay. He comes back and he makes The Nick, which, as you know, is one of my favorite television things ever. And then he like this is like two years after he's like, I'm retiring. Then he comes back and makes um, he comes out of retirement and makes Hmm. something. He makes Logan Lucky, Logan Lucky, which is a fine, totally fine film. But then. He's making, he makes like two movies a year. Yeah. He's like, he's come in, in, he's come out of retirement, quote unquote, to become one of the most prolific filmmakers of a generation. Mm -hmm. And I will say, I don't think he's made any of his great films in this period. No. But every one of them has been like a film worth watching. Yeah. And, and still like in the cinemas and still kind of talked about like, Magic Mike. (laughs) Magic Mike, which I actually haven't seen. I had no idea that it it was to Soderbergh when it first came out. Yeah. So that was, I was like, oh, what? Yeah. (laughs) What an interesting choice. I had no idea that he directed the most recent Magic Mike either. Oh, boy. Because have you ever read his his viewing journals? No. What's it say? Oh, I mean, he just lists everything he's read, watched, or like kind of experienced like every day and i was like for last year i was like man this guy really loves the most recent magic mike film and i was like oh yeah he directed it that makes sense why he would have watched it a bunch of times (laughs) but so um i I will say though like high flying bird is a perfectly excellent movie it's Mm -hmm. just a netflix thing it's like shot on an iphone 3 or whatever yeah and then even um i really liked uh, of that era i actually really liked the laundromat Mm -hmm. i thought that was an i thought people were kind of hard on that movie because it was a f- it's a very political film mm-hmm. and it's a weird way to like make a political movie but I actually thought it was quite good I think it was like a really well done timely movie but yes I don't think he has made any of his greatest films lately not since like but I mean I still love his work you know hell yeah yeah which is I like that about a director who doesn't have to be hitting a fucking 100 this yeah. is for cricket um every single movie that he does yeah he hasn't then, scored 100 wickets in a long time no, but he n- could all right yeah. <laughs> this just you're hitting all the baseball terms proper wrong <laughs> okay but i like that not everything he does is for everyone which is a mark no. of a good person yeah. creator artist director anyway so i i also think like being a being a stupid fucking millennial like <laughs> i'm i'm not as um i'm not as educated on like pre Aaron Brockovich Soderbergh like I I, yeah. I wasn't that interested even in like out of sight or sex lies and videotape which I, I've actually never seen sex lies and videotape but I watched like half of out of sight and I wasn't crazy about it huh. but I do truly think traffic is like one of the great films and the way and like doing being able to do Aaron Brockovich traffic and Ocean's Eleven yeah. in a row is, oh my god that's up there with some of the greatest runs in in film history holy shit because yeah. you're right aaron brockovich traffic same year 2000 he got nominated for best director twice Poof. In the same and then year. 2001 oceans 11 yeah can i go on my guy richie tangent for yeah a let's let's hear it so you said so by the way everyone we're talking about oceans 12 this is low ceiling i'm john you're pre um, <laughs> what the fuck do not speak for me sir <laughs> okay. what's your name it's all right all right um so guy richie Guy Ritchie for a long time would have been up there in my least liked <laughs> directors ever. Yeah. Um, until he was supplanted quite firmly by David O. Russell. I also like a lot of his Guy Ritchie's recent movies. I think um, I don't like Snatch or any of his what? Cockney bullshit, but I kind of like Guy Ritchie now. I've that's turned like around. The, that's the English I Eleven. Think, I think The Gentleman is an underrated film, and I think everyone should check it out. It's quite good. <laughs> you're, that is such a fucking bonkers take. I know that you're not a fan of Snatch, or what about Layer Cake? How do you feel about that's that? That's not a Guy Ritchie film. Oh shit! It's a Matthew Vaughn movie. Oh my god! Maybe you. My should life do is a lie. Your homework. Oh, now I he tells he pr- me. I think he produced it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had his grubby little hands all over that thing. Is what I'm hearing. <laughs> his grubby little English hands. His grubby little. Okay, I see Daniel Craig, and I assume he's in every Guy Ritchie thing ever. So I don't think he's been in any. <laughs> every day is a lie. <laughs> Go on. You want to hear an even more bonkers take? Tell me. Uh, cra- this is gonna be. This is a, this is a psychotic take. <laughs> I think that the Aladdin movie with Will Smith was not bad. <laughs> I never saw it. it was Wait, okay. do you mean the anime? No, no, like the live action one. Yeah. Huh. I thought it was good. You saw a live action Aladdin film in theaters. Who, yeah. Who are you? Oh uh, yeah. It was a different time, bro. Oh my god. Yeah. This is back when hope was alive and well. <laughs> yeah, and I I truly don't think that's a bad movie. I th- I know everyone like shit on it, but like I thought it was all right. I they couldn't have picked a better person to play the gen- the genie than fucking Will Smith, and huh. I thought he did a really good job. What I'm about not that what about attached to the original Aladdin? So I don't, yeah. What about Ocean's Twelve made you think of Guy Ritchie? It didn't make me think of Guy Ritchie. You brought up Guy Ritchie. Oh, I sorry. I mean, what about the tangent? Is that what it? What what kind of point did you want to make that you were like? You know what? Let's come back to what Guy I was Ritchie. getting. What I was getting at was that Guy Ritchie fucking wishes he could make a film this interesting. <laughs> That's what I'm getting at. Guy Ritchie sure. is a perfectly serviceable and interesting enough filmmaker. Yeah. But he doesn't quite have the depth I think that Soderbergh can really achieve. Hmm. And Soderbergh does a lot in this movie that certainly fails for a lot of audiences. There's a scene in it that fails for you and I. But yeah. Soderbergh just can make something that is so delightful and yeah the thing is this movie is only delightful now i think that if i had seen it in theaters i would have been like what the fuck is that <laughs> what do you mean you know? like 2001 yeah, 2004 when 12 came oh up. 12 12 Cause, right because like if you're expecting oceans 11 yeah you are going to be vastly disappointed yeah but if you now are like have been like okay I've come to the grips with the fact that it's not Ocean's Eleven. Yep. So what is it? You'll find that it's a f- an excellent movie. And it does start with like Ocean's Eleven energy. When the movie opens. Does it though? With really? The, the, okay. The opening scene with Brad Pitt and Catherine Zeta-Jones, the color, the conversation, the little. The, the fact that he jumps out the window. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is all very Ocean's. It's very on brand for the <coughs> predecessor. So I don't know. After a I, while, <laughs> I disagree. I think that this movie has a lot. the The fact, the thing about Ocean's Eleven is like they're very cool, and in this yeah. movie, you start to see their flaws a lot more as characters and mm. as a troop, and that's kind of what makes the like the fact that oh, you mean the fact that there's no motivation for any of the characters in this film? Well, there is is not dying. That's a pretty <laughs> solid motivation. Yeah. But the fact that like they get all this money, but Every one of them is still just the same old person. Like yeah. none of them have truly changed. No, that's great. Like the the scene where they go through who owes how much. Yep. And all of them have failed at whatever they're doing. Hundred really. percent. Yeah. yeah. Or they're all just in the same stupid place that they were in. Basically, that's what's so funny about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I li- I do I do find that the. Uh, Terry Benedict coming in to round up all the oceans is all the many ocean droplets to be like, all right, what I'm going to do is spend a whole bunch of money going from location to location to find these guys. Yeah. Just call them. (laughs) You're there. He's got a Terry Benedict has a lot of a showmanship. We were talking earlier about how Terry Benedict, when he first appeared, started to look a bit like Dracula (laughs) or just a posh posh yeah. bond villain whatever yeah. ener- vibe he's got going on they're all a bit extra yes every single character in this feels like they've been hit on the head <laughs> and yeah. now woke up to be like what is that my dear yeah. <laughs> they all look and act like they're from a different time the color grading Especially of the movie Yen. is different <laughs> yeah well he's the best though <laughs> he's he, so great that guy's filmography is just only oceans films because he's a gymnast <laughs> so. can I- he knocked it out of the park. Before we, shortly before we get into the plot, mm-hmm. can I, I'm going to give away something that I strongly think about this movie. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you a question leading into it. Who is the main character of this film? 
good question. Because I know who it is, and I'm about to celebrate. What do you mean? I know. I, I know. I th- it's obviously Brad Pitt. Is it? Yeah. Or is it Catherine Zeta Jones? Okay. Because Ca- she's actually kind of the protagonist of this movie, which I find really interesting. Catherine Zeta Jones is there to do what a cop does in a movie about thieves. But this movie is not about the cop slash detective. I think we don't care about Catherine Gita Jones's motivations, whether she succeeds or not. I mean, obviously we want our boys to be successful. I disagree. I think once she, once, once we see the scene of her giving the speech in front of Europol, then she kind of, her story kind of drives the film a little bit, you know? Is it her story or is it her huge personalities (laughs) that are there in almost every other scene? I think some of this bias comes from her being a friggin' smoke show, which, my God, undeniable. But I don't know. And and a great actress. I am not, like, peeling my eyes to, like, stay, keep my attention on the film every time she's on screen. But, like, when Rusty or Clooney or, like, when the other characters are on. Here's the reason I think that. Which, like, I'm, I'm, I'm... I understand where you're coming from, but here's the reason I think that only one character truly goes through an emotional story and it's her, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Because like she ends up meeting her father in the end. Sure. Who she thought was dead, who his death is what has motivated her throughout her whole life. Mm -hmm. And she's kind of driven to see it as it was all kind of a lie. Yeah. But then all of this is brought to her by Brad Pitt's character, who's like, "Hey, guess what? Your dad is still here." But no, because no, there's a very there's a very important point. There's a very important story point where she could she could not continue pursuing them, and she forges the signature of her boss. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, makes yeah, it yeah. happen. Sure. So yeah. she is one of the guys. She's she, one of the thieves. At, well, and her showing up at the end, and I will mention, okay. there's a freeze frame at the end of Catherine Zeta-Jones. True. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I think she is kind of the main character okay. of the film. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's definitely not because Clooney. So. No, it, yeah. and I, I, don't, I, think, I think Brad Pitt is kind of the antagonist to Catherine Zeta-Jones mm-hmm. in this. Mm-hmm. I think everyone else is just a, a player. They're not really going through, even, I, I don't think like, I don't think Danny and Tess really go through any sort of no, journey you no, know no and whether or not tess is in those movies it's it's kind of a throwaway joke like we don't even need most of these people but she's not in it for a great deal of yeah the film, so right? it's it's yeah. definitely not her but as i guess the only other female character in the movie sure Catherine zeta jones i think she's fucking great in eats this up movie. a lot of the screen time yeah. deservedly so yeah yeah that's my that's my whole thing about this movie. All right, podcast done. It's been the low ceiling. You've been pre. I've been John. Um, uh, you want to talk about anything else besides the plot? Uh, I I want to I want to I want to mention that there's a really good um, interview with Steven Soderbergh about this movie. Yeah. Um, where he calls it one of the biggest budget stoner movies of all time, Fuck which yeah. is great, and he like. He professes that this is his favorite of the Three Oceans films, which is an incredible thing. He says something that I thought was really interesting, that I thought was relevant to you and I. Lowly, the Steven Soderbergh of podcasts. (laughs) Um, He says something about... The interviewer asked him about things that influenced this movie. Yeah. And... As we know, Steven Soderbergh watches and reads so many things. And he brings up all of these, like, films, these older films from the 60s. And the interviewer says, like, wasn't that, like, kind of like a flop at the time? And Soderbergh says, he's like, this is the problem with filmmakers sometimes. We end up being influenced by things that were not successful or liked, but that we thought were great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what we do here, too. Of course. Yeah. Because, like... I know we mentioned this on earlier podcasts too. There are some films that creatives make for the audience and some that they make for themselves. And Ocean's 12 is definitely a movie for Soderbergh. <laughs> yeah. And I think everyone in, everyone involved in the movie is on the page of being, of totally subverting the heist movie in a way. Mm-hmm. It's like everyone knows that it, they're going to turn it on its head, but they are kind of dangling 
the prospect in front of the audience yeah which i get would be upsetting to some people who don't like this movie that it's like it's a heist movie and it's like it is not a heist movie it is movie. not a fucking heist movie almost every heist is a failure in this film <laughs> this is this is an art house heist yeah you want to talk to me about the plot i do hit me well we got to also just we got to pay homage to our our guy Scott Kahn. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Kahn who plays he's, himself in every he's made a, movie he's ever done. He's made a couple appearances on this pod and never has he let us down ever. Not and one time. This might be his best performance. Oh, definitely. He's awesome in this film. I feel like the lower his hair height gets, the better his performance. Definitely. Gets. 100%. So just in a movie where Scott Kahn is if he's ever bald, who you're gonna Oscars. get a hell of a performance yeah. get ready so we open with uh three years ago three and a half years ago mm-hmm. rusty is comes home late at night to uh get into bed with a sleeping Catherine zeta jones and she mentioned she was investigating a heist and she gives some details and rusty jumps out the bathroom window <laughs> we found hair yeah and we know the shoe size and he's like that's great honey i'm just gonna go take, take a shower, a shower. He's fucking gone. <laughs> Jumps out the window. And then we have just a long sequence of Andy Garcia as Terry Benedict <laughs> as trying Dracula. to find all of the Ocean's <laughs> Eleven. All of which is, it's a very weird way to open the scene. But My God. the more I watch it, the more I enjoy it. <laughs> what is with fucking Andy Garcia and the, what do you call that? An ascot? An apcot? The like kind of like tight. Apricot? Yeah, I yeah, don't know. The apricot tight. He can, he can pull it off though. Andy Garcia is, yeah, he's a good it looking guy. 1,000 degrees wherever they are. And every time this guy shows up in a three-piece suit. and a, I mean, he lives in Las Vegas. He lives in a casino, so. Yeah, that's true. It's probably chilly in there when it's he needs it to be. very intimidating. Yeah. Basically, he demands they give back the $160 million they stole with interest, which would come to around $198 million. Mm-hmm. Casey Affleck and Scott Cowan, the brothers. Casey Affleck's getting married. They interrupt the wedding. <laughs> Rude. Yeah. <laughs> the wedding, like the mm. wedding dinner. Uh, the not- bride is never mentioned N- ever nope. again. <laughs> never. She does not come back. No. They're like, your marriage is over, bro. Take yeah. a night. Um Yen, the grease man, is yeah. master gymnast. Is like <laughs> just his whole thing of just having a giant house, yes. dressing like a really bad rapper. Hell yeah! And like having a model for a wife and stuff is Perfect. so funny. And it's and he he this is ideally how he, people should spend twenty million dollars that they've stolen. Hundred percent, yeah. And like he's the only guy, everybody else is just like living their normal lives, like getting married or. Washing their well, hair or whatever the fuck. So Danny and Tess live a quiet life in Connecticut, mm-hmm. which Danny obviously hates and Tess isn't too fond of either. Uh, Frank owns a nail salon. Frank, Bernie Mac, rest in peace. Um, Bernie Mac, who in Ocean's Eleven is one of the most underrated roles in the entire film. Oh, yeah. Bernie Mac is so good in Ocean's Eleven. He has some of the best scenes and he doesn't get as much credit, but he every scene he's in in that movie, go back and watch it. He's so funny. He is so funny. Speaking of Bernie Mac, he's when they when they find him, he's in a salon getting a foot <laughs> massage, and these Andy Garcia and his two thugs come in, and they're like, "Excuse me, lady," and then they take over the foot massage. <laughs> like, Why are it, they touching his the, feet? The thing moves behind a wall, and you just see Frank's head, and then he opens his eyes and sees them. And he's like, "You can take you your can hands take off it, my feet yeah. now." <laughs> First of all, it's so funny. So, and then. get your hands off his feet (laughs) and so uh don Cheadle is trying to start a (laughs) rap career uh with jared harris as his producer and jared harris is fucking incredible fantastic um can you imagine out english accenting jared harris he's so fucking funny (laughs) and like the way they're they're like swearing and the phone is beeping for them to pick up and it's really great yeah um Linus uh, is just, he's just in a car. Andy Garcia just tracks him down. He's in a car. It's great. Perfect. Uh, Saul is just being a rich old man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Livingston Dell is being a really terrible stand-up comedian, <laughs> which is also really <laughs> funny. Um, <laughs> I got to tell you, that just, whatever bit he does, it's fucking great. Yeah, me. it's really good, actually. Mom? It's very uh, Andy Kaufman-esque that he's yeah. doing. And um, also when he sits at the bar and he's like, thanks for letting me finish. <laughs> he's like, you're a funny guy. You're a funny guy. guy. <laughs> 
you know, in that moment is when I thought Andy Garcia's character, well, he's fucking great too, but if if they had like a another casting option, maybe Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey, Robert Downey Jr. could yeah. do it. Yeah, he could. Justice. Yeah. But the marquee uh, scene is Rusty finding Topher Grace in his hotel room. <laughs> Playing himself, <laughs> yeah, just an dropping absolute. a hard R word, <laughs> and uh, as soon as the door opens, <laughs> yeah. oh boy, Topher Grace, another un- unsung hero of the Ocean's just, trilogy. I swear to God, so funny, he's amazing. <laughs> One, an unsung hero of life, actually, Topher Grace. I tell Don't you, you think I? He's in like three things that I absolutely love, and then nothing else. I respect the man. Yeah, and I love him. Yeah, I think he's fantastic. Being more things, Toph. Yeah. You know what? We already reclaimed the career of Ashton Kutcher. I don't think Topher needs our help, but they're both great. So there you go. Twins. Yep. And then uh, Rusty's car blows up, which is awesome. Sick. That's That's just a great scene when he walks out and then they're talking and then he's just in front of the car as it blows up. It's great. And then... (laughs) scene where they kind of tally tally up who owes what but they're all really sensitive about it being called oceans 11 (laughs) that's what they're talking about who do they go when you have a question rusty it's it's great it's great that none of them are on board linus is like whole sensitive he's like super sensitive about everything it's so good guys as an organization (laughs) i I don't I don't think we should be making fun. We don't shouldn't be calling people by that word. Yeah, oh, beautiful. <laughs> Are you doing a telethon? We're not aware of. <laughs> <laughs> like I was telling you, I'm so happy this movie I watched with subtitles on because there's a lot of mumbling, there's a lot of talking over each other that happens all the time, and those are some of the best. That's some excellent banter that you miss if you don't have subtitles on. So yeah. it's great. I think when I, I told, I was, I think it was like the first thing I talked about when I got off the plane, when I came home from Italy was yeah. this scene where, <laughs> so, uh, what's his name? Ruben asks, um, who's on the hundred dollar bill? And you could just hear George Clooney off screen and be like, John Travolta. John Travolta. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they can't work in the U S so they pop off to, uh, Amsterdam, mm-hmm. which is where they go, and they may have a plan to uh, steal the first ever stock certificate from the Dutch East India Company, which is in the house of an art collector who's also an agoraphobic who never leaves. That's that's, that's the right. game, basically. Beautiful. And essentially, their plan is to they eventually figure out they have to raise the house from under the canal so that. Uh, Don Cheadle, Basher, can shoot an arrow through a window and get a little finger pokey thing to hit the code, mm-hmm. and then they can get in and steal it. However, they get in there, and the night fox has beaten them to it. Oh, don, don, don. So two important things happen here. Yeah. Firstly, the night fox, they find his uh, his summons to tell them that he wants to have a competition with them. And Catherine Zeta-Jones realizes that this idea to raise the house was one that she told Rusty mm-hmm. about a thief named Schumann who wrote who did it twice and that's where he got the idea so she suspects he's involved and she kind of knows he's involved yeah she is fascinated with the lives of thieves not just because she's a detective but her dad um was not a great guy and he passed away but she's um grown up on learning about all of these famous thieves and she thinks Lamarck is one of the best of his times, and the only other guy who comes close is the Night Fox. His protege, the Night Fox, mm. who we find out is uh, a man named Tulur, Baron Tulur, played by Vincent Cassell. What up? I've never really got Vincent Cassell very much. I know he's incredibly famous in France, obviously. He's yeah. quite famous in cinema in general, but I've never really quite enjoyed him as he's an the actor. guy richie of french guys you know what though i like him in this movie now that i've watched it a few times nice i think he's quite good in it yeah you know he's really good the only other movie that i i specifically quite like him in mm. is um which is a really hard movie to like is irreversible oh, like he's shit. very good and irreversible right. which is like <sighs> rough I, don't watch that film if no. you guys like to be happy and enjoy your lives yeah yeah um, don't want yeah it's a really rough film but he's an he's excellent in it yeah um because like the fr- i think the first thing i saw him in was um 
Eastern Promises. Oh and my he's, god, he's just a little too much in that movie. And he goes hard in everything. He's he does, a little though. much. Yeah. yeah. In that movie, yeah, though, Eastern I don't Promises, know. a casual watch. <laughs> no, I, <yeah. laughs> another one. A more that's... casual watch than Irreversible. We'll put it that way. The, you know, it's funny because, like, when just a little tangent on Cronenberg, mm. Canada's great director. When what was that movie that came out last year that was amazing that he made? Crimes Ooh, of Kirsten the Future. Stewart. Yeah, yeah, Crimes of the Future. I remember listening to a an interview with him where he said, like, he was like, "Yeah, I don't really like tell actors what to do unless it's like way out of." Unless they're not doing a good job. Yeah. No, like it was like unless they're just like not doing unless they're doing too much that it's gonna seem weird. And then now what the now that I rewatched Eastern Promises and I'm like, yeah, he didn't really tell Vincent Cassell what to do (laughs) because he's kind of doing a crazy amount. He's doing a little because that movie is like full of very chill performances. Mm -hmm. Um, but he is just very like over the top in that film. He's a wacky guy. Yeah. And then as I said, I made the mistake of rewatching Black Swan recently, and he's like fine in that, but I don't think he's like particularly special. I think he's just all right. Hmm. Yeah. So Vin- Vincent Cassell is the Night Fox. Um, he challenges them to a competition because Lamarck once said that um, the Benedict job in Las Vegas was the greatest by the must have been the greatest thief who ever lived, essentially. Totally. And Tuller took that personally, <laughs> and decided he wants to steal the coronation egg the faberge egg from rome yeah he wants it to be a competition between the american thieves and and his french the french sensibilities yes. cannot be offended by this bullshit <laughs> how dare they usurp his position as thief number one yeah and then, so the team gets ready to head off to do this job. Yeah. Uh, George Clooney and Brad Pitt put Yen in a bag, and then they lose the bag, <laughs> which leads into my favorite scene of the last <laughs> forever. It's I could not. I had to stifle my laughter on the fil- on the plane <laughs> when I watched this scene because it's so fucking funny. Who's in it? Casey Affleck. Yes. Casey Affleck is really good in this movie. Mm. And just the way he delivers the line to Scott Conner is like, how many football teams do you know that are fielding 50-year-old men? (laughs) (laughs) They're bickering back and forth. Like, just, it's so perfect. I want to see more of that. Scott Conner, when he's like, why do you got a... He's doing the knife. How old do you think I am? 48? 48. (laughs) You think I'm 48? 52? No, he doesn't say anything in between. That's what's so good about it. He's yeah. like, how do you, how old do you think I am? He's like, 48. And then there's just a long pause. And Casey <laughs> Affleck never breaks eye contact. And then he's just like, 52. <laughs> uh, and then there's the line that Rusty says yeah. about being mysterious, which is fi- fucking fantastic. And then capturing off with George Clooney asking Don, she was like, how old do you think I am? He's like, no, do you think I'm 50? He's like, yeah. <laughs> but only from the neck up. <laughs> only from the neck up. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, it's beautiful. So funny. Just go watch it on YouTube. We're not as funny as that scene is. It's amazing. But anyway, from there, and we're just going to hop right to the spoilers. Basically, from there on, they are long conning the Night Fox. Yeah. And this is possibly the most, what makes this film so divisive is everything you watch from there on is a con. Yes. To the audience and to the Night Fox, basically. Really, the con all along was to... Uh, deflect Katharina Zeta-Jones into a different direction. From scene one, if since Brad Pitt's been pursuing her, knowing full well that she's a detective, maybe that's also part of the con. Who knows? Well, the con is to eventually, like, they steal the egg. Because when they're in that train station, they're not going to Rome. They're going to Paris, where the egg is, Mm -hmm. to get on that train to go do that, right? And so that's what you don't know. And then the con after that is basically to have a fake egg swapped in that the Night Fox will steal yeah. and also play it out so that Brad Pitt can bring the egg back to Lamarck and his daughter to Lamarck as well. This this whole portion of the Not Brad heist Pitt's daughter. <laughs> Lamarck's daughter. Lamarck's daughter. This whole this whole portion of like heist and a heist is very like it was a dream all along. So that is why I feel like a lot of the audience is like, well, what the fuck? Then nothing is real. And what we're seeing is all bullshit. So the yeah. honesty with which Ocean's Eleven was delivered, everything is unfolding in front of your eyes in real time. And it's like watching a magician live. You know there's a trick, 
but he's there the whole time and you want that kind of delight and surprise. In in Ocean's Eleven, though, they don't leave you hanging Never. for so Not long once. without understanding what's happening. Yeah. The actual reveal in Ocean's Eleven is much quicker, whereas in Ocean's Twelve, it, you're you're hanging for about 40 minutes Yeah. while you're seeing all sorts of different things go wrong and the characters acting. This is one of the problems. This is something I think... I. I think I heard this on John August's podcast, Script Notes, where they yeah. were talking about writing, where there's like, you know, in like 50% of all action films where people are like, oh, he wanted to get caught. <laughs> if you think back, it's always kind of like, well, why was he acting cer- in that certain way. ways if they al- if the plan was to get caught all along? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it kind of is like, well... I don't know. Like it, <laughs> it, it sometimes doesn't end up working. Switcheroo. And the scene that I think of in this that I don't think works is when after they're arrested outside of the gallery, which is funny because because they're like they bang up and get ready for this heist, and then three of them are arrested right away, which yeah. is really funny. Yeah. Which is kind of the subversion of the heist film is that it just falls flat on its face. Mm-hmm. But the scene that doesn't really work is when Linus Scott Con and Don Cheadle are trying to figure out what to do and to get Tess involved. Yeah. They wouldn't really, like, why would they act that way in private if they all know what was happening? Especially Linus, because he stole the egg. Act what way, though? I feel like they didn't really address much about the other members of their team being in prison. They were just like, what do we do now? Of what are the next steps? Like it was it no. Just of kinda... course they do. They the whole thing is is them trying to work out a con, and the answer is always not enough people. <laughs> that scene is always like, could we right. do this? Not enough people. Could we do this? Not enough people. Right, and the right, best right, one is right, like, right. what about this? Uh, we can't train a cat that quickly. Also, not enough people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 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 yeah. okay. So okay. the thing is, is like we're watching them in private. They all know what's going on. Yeah, especially Linus, but. But huh. they're acting so that yeah. that truly doesn't work. But yeah. I don't care. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a weird like oh audience, what are we to do? Even though they know the whole time. Can I can I give like a better counter example, which mm-hmm. I actually think is a good job of the he wanted to get caught all along. Yeah, the Dark Knight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Joker wants to get locked up in prison. However, I think in that movie they do a good job of, and, and Chris Nolan is not well known for having the most tight non-plot hold scripts in the world, which yeah. again, I don't care about either. Mm-hmm. But what I think is good about The Dark Knight in that sequence is like, there's enough plausible deniability to kind of be like, getting locked up for the Joker mm-hmm. may have been plan B. Right. He may have figured out what he wanted to, what he would do in the case of he got locked up, but I yeah. don't think that was plan A. And whereas in this, plan A has already started in the train station, and that's really kind of the only plan that's going. And Linus, Scott Kahn, and Don Cheadle shouldn't really, wouldn't logically really be acting that way if everything right. is kind of going to plan. I wonder if, like, maybe the original plan was that only Clooney and Rusty would get caught and not, like, all friggin' ten members. Hold uh, on. Maybe I take that back. Mm-hmm. And here's the reason why. Albert Finney... Lamarck, who mm-hmm. is revealed to be Lamarck, he does say that everything you do, you should assume that the Eyes Night Fox you. has you under surveillance. Yes. So maybe they're all playing it out because of that. Maybe that's it. Aha. Yeah. Right. So they have to like stay in character that, oh no, we've been confounded at all stages. All right. I take everything I just said in the last 20 minutes Boom, back. Boom, this is the greatest movie ever and, made. Yeah. You know what? Turns out it's the greatest film ever made. Yeah. The biggest uh, disappointment for the audience and maybe not disappointment, maybe a little bit more of a betrayal compared to Ocean's Eleven, why that was loved and this one not so much, is that in Ocean's Eleven, the audience is part of the heist. You are part of the Ocean's team. You see what's unfolding, you're told what's going to happen, and then you're there when, you know, you get the money. But in Ocean's Twelve, you're just on the sidelines. Yeah. Like an audience, which is annoying. Well, here's here's the thing, and, and I find like movies where the kind of like the puzzle box idea of a film that is it was kind of popularized with a film that's referenced in this film with like the sixth sense and things like that yeah the ones that work like the sixth sense or like oceans 11 a little bit mm-hmm. or something else they have that magician quality where when you think back you realize 
the answer has been right in front of you the whole time. And in Ocean's Eleven, the answer is the fact that they built the vault. Yes. And then you're like, oh, it Uh. was more than just practice. Yeah. And it's been there the whole time. Correct. Whereas in this movie, they don't have that. They never give you, the audience, the chance to understand. You can never really catch on. Yeah. Because you're over here feeling like Andy Garcia's character. Like he yeah. felt in Ocean's Eleven. And no one wants you know, to feel like you that. You know how every once in a while, like you and I will pause a thing and be, I, I'll I'll proclaim, I'll be like, this is my prediction. <laughs> people like that though. People like yeah. to be able to feel, it makes them feel smart. It makes them feel smart. That, and totally. people like to feel smart. Yeah. And this movie, yeah. So there's other things. I think I've watched one one episode, unfortunately, and I'll never do it again, I promise, of um, that British uh, version of Sherlock with uh, Tim from The Office <laughs> and Smog the Dragon. Yeah, yeah. And it's terrible. And Martin Freeman. Yeah. And one of the reasons that I hate that show so much or hated it when I watched it and promised I'd never watch it again, much like I said with Black Swan, was Sherlock is so smart that yeah. the show never really gives you a chance to figure it out because Sherlock sees all this stuff that you have totally. no possible conception of. Yes. And then you're just like, oh, okay, so I'm just a dumbass and you can just... But it's also kind of like, it doesn't show you any of that. So, 100%. Yeah. And that's exactly what Ocean's and 12... That's kind of what this movie does did. too. Yeah. yeah. Um, you were asking me earlier, can you think of an example of a heist film that is kind of on the same level where the payoff is good and you kind of stay with it? Will Smith's focus. That's kind of up there. I remember not disliking that movie, but I don't quite remember the... I've only seen it once, so I don't quite yeah, remember yeah, yeah. the con of it. But, like, it, again, like, the idea of, like, you staying with Will Smith's character and then Margot Robbie's character... Is there a twist in that film? There is a twist in that film, but the twist that even Will Smith doesn't know. So that was a cool part towards the end where he's, like, George Clooney gets Clooney'd unwittingly. I don't recall what the twist his, is. Well, spoilers now, but he gets shot. Uh, and I think, wait, I think he, fuck, maybe Margot Robbie doesn't know, but either way, for it to be like a realistic reaction. And then it turns out Margot Robbie's actually his mother. (laughs) Margot Robbie's smog the dragon. Can I, can I give a, a, another bad counter example? Yeah. A film. What do you mean another bad? No, 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 not, not that. If I, I, (laughs) I recall quite, I recall liking focus. I'm not saying that's a bad movie. I, I will give a bad counter example and i promise everybody <gasps> that we will be covering both of these films oh, in the future oh. now you see me one and now you see me two <laughs> are bad <laughs> versions of the heist with the twist trick at the end yes mostly because those movies are abominations upon this earth <laughs> i love them so <laughs> and much. i love them I desperately love them in dearly. my heart i love <laughs> i am not i maybe people have gleaned this but i'm not really like a so bad it's good kind of watcher i'm really no, not no they actually they are good what what more attracts me to movies is like when people are where when i'm like some people like this <laughs> but it's really bad yeah <laughs> and those movies are abominable it's because they have what is that one percent redeeming quality that we desperately want to latch on to yeah <laughs> every movie has a little woody harrelson in it that makes it good yeah. and in this movie um man yeah it is Catherine zeta jones it is rusty it is the but little chemistry Catherine, between matt damon and brad pitt scott Kahn and casey affleck Catherine zeta jones the thing that's important which this movie i actually think wouldn't work without her performance and without mm-hmm. her character mm-hmm. is she provides an emotional core that's it yeah because like i think that i think some mistakes that people make when they're kind of like criticizing films or trying to write films or trying to write things is that they think that like if everything is tight and the plot is well put together and constructed then that means it's, it's a, a good, good story mm. but actually storytelling is about invoking and evoking motion yeah and you can't really have a story without some sort of emotional journey or emotional definitely. core to it definitely and that's why i kind of forgive a lot of the issues with this movie because in the end, when Catherine Zeta-Jones realizes her father is still alive, it's actually quite touching. Yeah. Which is kind of a rare thing. It's Soderbergh, I don't think, is like a very emotionally focused filmmaker. Mm-hmm. But he does enough in a lot of his movies that it's like, yeah, I, I really care about this moment here because yeah. of the way that this character is acting. And like, for example, like in Traffic, when Michael Douglas gives a speech at the end, speaking of Catherine Zeta-Jones's husband Mm -hmm. um when he gives a speech at the end because he's been so affected by what happened to his daughter 
you're kind of like, wow, like I'm really moved by something. Yeah. And this movie has that. Mm. All right, moving on. Enough of that. Beauty. Michigas. Basically, everyone gets arrested. Danny, Rusty, uh, Livingston. Um, all 10. All Casey ten. Affleck's character, mm-hmm. Ruben. Not all 10. Not not quite yet. And then so all we have left is uh, Damon, Scott Con, Don Cheadle. And they're trying to figure out what to do. And they decide to bring Tess in because she looks like a very famous actress. <laughs> and this is where the movie also gets very zany and bizarre. <laughs> but turns out I, I really like this aspect of this it. This is the one scene that everybody fucking hated. Like f- of the Not naysayers me. who gave it a I down hate vote. A, I on... hate a different scene. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh God. Well, that's because yeah. you hate capoeira <laughs> laser dance art form. This is why me and Vincent Cassell have <laughs> made a famous friendship yet. Obviously, is because I don't practice capoeira. You don't join okay. him in his dance ballet laser movement. I tried to tell him I was like, I love it when your friend beat the guy to death with a fire extinguisher and irreversible. <laughs> I thought that was fucking amazing. Let's do that together. I God. thought that was awesome. I thought that was a feel good film of the year. Yeah. No, oh, that tunnel <laughs> scene. Oof. Oh God. Yeah. Yep. Jesus. God, what, what a, a fucking movie. What a um, yeah. So they bring over uh, I mean Julie Roberts and they say if she yeah. wants to look at the egg and she's pregnant and we gotta hustle her in <laughs> and Matt Damon <laughs> plays Glenn Snackwell <laughs> hey Glenn Snackbar it's Snackwell <laughs> Saul Snackbar <laughs> Snackbar it's and then but they're interrupted by Bruce Willis playing himself, which is hilarious too. Excellent, yep. And um, he's just being jovial Bruce Willis, trying to chat with Julia Roberts and stuff. And then eventually they get all found out and yeah. the con is over and they all get arrested. Mm-hmm. And then the FBI shows up and there's the woman who's in succession whose name escapes me right now, but she's excellent. She hasn't aged a goddamn day, apparently. No, she looks exactly she the same fantastic. like she does in current day succession. Yeah, that's my apology for not remembering her name. It's just, she looks great. She's made $10 billion on succession, so she's yeah. okay. Yeah, and then it turns out that's Linus's mom comes yeah. to rescue them. That and is my favorite twist. And you, I, yeah, yeah. you kind of see it coming, obviously, that that is some lady who knows him towards the end at least when they're in the car together and then he looks over and for a second and then it comes back to me like oh my god it's his mommy yeah and that was perfect yeah yeah and then um lahiri uh Catherine zeta jones is following them and then she sees rusty's car careen off in a different direction and mm-hmm. follows him only to reveal that he's taken her to a private airport and he says you can come and meet lamarck your dad your dad Dun, dun, Your dad dun. is alive. Your dad is the greatest thief in all of France, and you're a detective. And then we get on the plane, and we focus in on this bag, and the con is all kind of revealed by Danny and Tess to to lure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, do we have to explain it? Basically, they stole the egg on its way to Rome and yeah. replaced it with a with a different one. And Tulor stole a replica. Yes. And they still had the egg long before he ever even got close That's to right. it, basically. There That's is a whole happened. there's a cute little scene uh about why Catherine Zeta Jones decides that this is the con that they're going to do. They're gonna steal the egg because Lamarck had s- attempted or <laughs> and successfully stolen the egg. Right, yeah. Uh and Obviously, his wife made him return it. Yeah. So to her, it's and and that is such a cute key moment that she knows so many intimate details. Yeah. About this guy and his wife, and then towards the end, all of that ties nicely into a bow. And it's like this guy's your dad, yeah. and your mom passed away, and she didn't want him to have terrible relations with you. Yeah. I also I like the scene with her boss Maurizio when he's like, "You <laughs> yeah. say the egg's gonna be stolen, but you said the egg was stolen in 1983. So which is it?" And she says, "Both." <laughs> Both. That's good. Mm. Yeah. And um, yeah, Lamarck basically helped out Danny and Rusty with finding the egg before yeah. the Night Fox did. Danny and Tess explain this all to the Night Fox, who pays off Terry Benedict, even though he's not happy with it. Mm-mm. And we unfortunately have to see the Capoeira dancing scene, which is my least favorite scene <laughs> in the film. I think it's dumb and stupid, <laughs> and it doesn't seem very Soderbergh. Laser dance. Yeah, it wasn't. I just wasn't. I thought it was silly. Yeah, and then we end with them all drinking and playing poker. What I want, I want to do with my friends is sit around and play poker. You know what? As I was watching that scene, my whole brain was like, "Man, John would love this shit." I would. Yeah, I do. I'm not a poker player, but no. maybe someday. But like, I do love card games. But a round table amongst yeah. friends, Drinks, who wouldn't playing love playing cards. It. Yeah, 
Catherine Zeta-Jones can be there. Vincent Cassell. 100%. We can talk about Irreversible. <laughs> it would be great. He, he forced I, to teach you how to dance. Much then. like Rachel Weisz and Daniel Craig, I <laughs> I will talk yeah. about the film that no one has ever talked to them about. <laughs> I will I will ask Catherine Zeta-Jones Zorro? all about The Mask of Zorro. Yeah. You think no one talks about Mask of Zorro? No, man. Come on. No, Mask of Zorro done... is an uh, undeniable classic that people still jizz all over. So. Sorry, she was in Chicago. Like, come on. Sure. Like, she's done so much since then. Yeah. You know? Which... I'm not a big musicals girl, but Chicago... No, I've never seen it, but it won Best Picture. Chicago is excellent. Yeah. Chicago is so good that I know every single song by heart. Okay, Lin-Manuel Miranda, just <laughs> chill out, oh, all right? Just, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Ah, perfect. The gun. For the gun. Okay, I'm gonna do a this whole is, performance, this performance as soon as this over. podcast ends. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That is Ocean's Twelve. It is zany AF. Like I in said, parts. If you've only seen it one time, try to accept the fact that it is not one of the greatest films ever made. Ocean's no. Eleven, and try and see it in a new light. Yeah, because there's a lot going on there. There's another quote from that um, interview. That I really liked about that, what Soderbergh said to it, mm-hmm. said about this movie. And he and it's very simple, but I was like, that's exactly what the, makes this movie great. He's like, there's a real playfulness to it, of course, and that's what's fun about it. Yeah. And and even even though you're not part of the heist, you're still part of the gang. You still get to enjoy the yeah, banter. Lots of people point out that it's like the greatest hang film of Definitely. all time. Definitely, the of, chemistry yeah. is 100 percent still there. So yeah, but like the the. The plan of the film is, I, I wrote this down, it's essentially like the speech that Nick Offerman gives to Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill in uh, J- uh, 22 Jump Street, <laughs> where he's, he explains how sequels work. <laughs> That's basically what they were like trying to like. Yeah. The, the thing that I love about this movie is it's like, it was almost... So they kind of knew they couldn't replicate Ocean's Eleven, which is already an incredible foresight yeah but then there's also things about this movie where it it's like they anticipate how people are gonna feel Mm -hmm. and then turn that around and comment on it within the film yeah already before it's even come out and one of the scenes that i think is like the epitome of that is uh when rusty says the quote about being mysterious Mm -hmm. (laughs) like because god i want to find that line right now i I have it written down so so Matt Damon approaches him and says, have you ever noticed a test looks like? And he says, don't ever talk about that. Yeah. And then Matt Damon says, why? And he says, listen, it's not in my nature to be mysterious, but I can't talk about it. And I can't talk about why. And then he walks away. And then Matt Damon is like, Ooh, which is so funny. And it's, but it's also like, that is kind of a meta joke about Rusty's whole persona. Yes. The fact that he... He thinks of himself as a person who's not mysterious. Exactly. Whereas in Ocean's Eleven, they totally build him up to be a very mysterious man. Hundred percent. Right? Great point. There's also another like moment in this where you kind of hear a muttering of like Brad Pitt being like, "Don't touch my food." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Because obviously, him and the whole trope with him always eating. Like they. Which can I can I talk about that trope for a yes. second? <laughs> That is so annoying because <laughs> he's not eating very often in films ever. He's no. only eating in Ocean's Eleven sort of half the time. He does have a very focused in every time he takes a bite out of anything. He's the, sexiest, after reading. He's the sexiest eater alive. I'm I'll telling you. Like, yeah. I, think he, I, I think he's unfairly characterized as the most eater as is maybe Ryan Gosling as someone who doesn't eat at all. Like, yeah, but that that's, <laughs> that that thing of like Brad Pitt always eating is this is like a yeah. is like kind of a lazy internet thing. Where it's just like, have you seen the fifty movies he's been in? Well, he's probably like, eating in like seven scenes. But those seven scenes are so memorable. Not eating in Fight Club. He's like a hundred pounds in Fight Club. He do be eating. Yeah, in Fight I, Club. I have to say, in, in Ocean's Eleven, when he's eating the shrimp cocktail, yeah, I, I am like, I I, I can want eat that. I can now. eat. Yeah. Man. Oh man. <laughs> but I just do think like it's it's so admirable the way they subvert all these expectations. But then they do take it a step further and kind of like comment on it in a yeah. meta meta way. And that I, I I don't know. I really like that. I think it's like yeah, I don't know. Hundred percent. It's it's really cool. 
That's why it's worth talking about. Fuck yeah. Celebrate and this is a fucking great movie, and Soderbergh's such a good director. Should I change my name? Oh, coming back to Chicago. No, just, uh, just play us out. Just Okay, just go a little lower and keep going. Keep going. Come on. You've been listening to The Low Ceiling. We're going to play out there with our normal goodbye song. This has been The Low Ceiling on 106.9 The Rock. I've been John. And I'm free. You don't, you're supposed to be singing. Oh, you're supposed to be singing the outro. Keep it real. Don't turn your dial. This is the low ceiling. We've been talking about Ocean's 12 here, and we're going to play a little bit of smooth jazz to let you go on this sultry evening in Rome, Italy. This is my radio presenter voice. (laughs) It's been really lovely to have you put my voice in your ear. Stick them deep and stick them wide. Lost them 30 seconds ago. This is so <laughs> long. This is longer than all of Ocean's 12 put together. Try out Ocean's 13. The gang's back together. <laughs> this time's there two more. They load the dice. Al Pacino's there. <laughs> Ellen Barkin, who no one really cares about, but she does exist. Oh, Thank man. you. Any more ladies in that film? None. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>